The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead for stocks. It's a good day on Wall Street. The S&P 500 is up almost 1%, and the NASDAQ Composite is up almost 2%. Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, is my guest today, and I'm going to start with a tough question for him. Ben, the market's up. Do you think stocks have finally bottomed after this year's sell-off? No, Lauren, I think you know how I'm going to answer this. Um, I know, but I don't know that all our listeners know. So give it a I'm sticking with with my story um, that uh, we're not quite through the the volatility yet. Um, One of the things that I always find interesting is that this market, you can never trust it. To, to stay even where it is. Uh, did you know, Lauren, that uh, between the time you wrote your notes and now the market's given back about half its gains? Oh, so the, the Dow so is up only 0.4% and the NASDAQ is up 0.9% and the S&P is about 0.7%. And, and I bring this up not to correct you, but just to point out that this market is so messy right now and so volatile even within smaller ranges that it's so hard to predict you see the the, the nasdaq up two percent you're thinking great that this this market's off to the races but no it, it pulls back but even sitting here at noon on uh on monday i don't want to say even if the market's going to finish up or, or up or down on the day i could easily see it going you know getting back to the highs of the day by the close or finishing negative i just uh it, it's just a wacky market in that way that it's and we've really, seen so many intraday reversals this year we have in, in both directions especially recently um I, I think partially what that says is that there is you know, the, the market is trying to figure out where it's it's going. Um, and I think thankfully with it down as much as it has been this year that, um, you know, it's probably closer, you know, to a bottom than it was certainly at, at the start of the year, that that doesn't really say much. Um, what worries me is that I, I still think we have to get through this summer. Um, and I don't think, um, and so I don't think the volatility is is over just yet. I, I do see some more downside. Um, I think we'll get those days that scare people. Um, I really would like to see more capitulation uh, than we've seen, but there is a lot of capitulation already happening. Uh, for instance, Julian Emanuel over at Evercore was pointing out that margin debt has come way down. And his excuse, I mean, not his excuse, his reason behind it is basically, why would you want to pay more money uh, to lose money because it costs more to use margin debt just because rates have been going up. Right. And so that's yeah. it brought margin debt way down. So there are these things coming out of the market that are good for the longer term. I still think that there is a lot of working through that has to be done. There's also a lot of rate hikes ahead. If you listen to the Fed, they plan to raise, you know, 50 basis points a couple of times more. Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, two more um, half percentage point hikes. Um, it, 
and then you get to September and you're either going to get a quarter or a half point. And then after that, it's people take it as there's a pause, but uh, people have been, some of the strategies I've been reasoning is that it's not really a pause. Um, that it's more like a okay, let's let's see what comes next. Um, is it going to be a quarter point? Are we going to go a quarter point every other meeting? Are we going to still have to do half point hikes? Um, it's just uh, that's the point where we're going to be able to say okay, they've they've done this quick rapid hike. Now we have to see how much more they need to hike going ahead. Well, it all depends on inflation. It really does. And I think it's not enough just to see inflation stop rising, um, but it needs to show signs that it really is coming down quite a bit. And I think the Fed has to decide, you know, does it have to come down to 2% or are they comfortable with it coming to, let's say, 2.5% or 3%? Um, no, both those numbers would be a lot lower, um, but they're still uh, than they are now. But that's still not two percent. Um, and so, if they really want that two percent number, that's going to be a toughie. So, this is a good time to talk about inflation. We've got two key inflation readings this week: the CPI and the core CPI coming Friday. The core is um, absent food and energy, which are, am I right, the volatile parts of inflation. And expectations are still pretty high, maybe not at the all-time highs we've seen this year, but tell us what Wall Street's expecting. Yeah, and I always find the uh, the, the core CPI kind of a strange number because, yes, those food and, and energy are volatile, but they're also the ones that hit uh, consumers the hardest. Um, but, uh, you know, they're expected to, um, it, it's, it's expected to rise, uh, the CPI, um, with the food and energy is expected to rise 0.7% month over month. And that would be an increase from 0.3%. I think a lot of that has to do with oil, which, uh, rallied, uh, had been down in the nineties, um, in April, and now it's back up, uh, closer to 115, 120. Um, so that, automatically picks up, uh, uh, shows up in your CPI, which is, again, this is why the Fed prefers other measures. Um, and then we have our core, which is expected to rise 0.5%. That'd be down from 0.6. Um, regardless of how these come in, they're still too strong for for the Fed. And they're going to um, you know, require those rate hikes that uh, you know we're going to get one. Uh, I believe the meeting is next week, and right, right, we're going to get that half point hike, and we're going to get continued um, uh, quantitative tightening. And uh, we'll just have to see how this goes. The interesting thing is that all this really happens in a very lagged fashion when it comes to monetary policy. They don't cut rates, and all of a sudden you see everything slow. But it has to work its way through the system. So it actually takes months to see how it's working. Though in some areas, um, you can see it work a little faster. So, well, that's that's big situation to watch is inflation. So let's move on to some big things that are happening this week, in particular this morning. Let's take a look at the at the Twitter Tesla situation. Elon Musk, the head of Tesla, has said he might walk away from his 44 billion Twitter bid if Twitter doesn't hand over data on spam and fake accounts. Not surprisingly, Twitter is falling today. Tesla's stock is up. What do you think Musk wants? At least it was when I wrote this. Exactly. <laughs> I knew you were going there. This market is so wacky. Um, you've actually seen uh, Tesla was up 3%. It's now flat. Uh, Twitter was down over more than 4%. It's down 2% now. Um, I, I think people love to react to these kinds of things um, uh, when it comes to Musk and, and this deal. You know, we've seen so much noise around it. And the first reaction on this is that Musk is looking to walk away. And 
that is one interpretation of it all and might very well be the right one. Um, but it's also possible that, uh, um, you know, this is Musk either just being Musk, being the troll that he has become, or trying to get a lower price for the uh, for the deal. Um, we just don't know. And it seems that the market is actually coming to at least a conclusion that maybe is not so clear cut um, with the, the way that Twitter stock is uh, cutting its losses and Tesla stock is falling. Um, and it also just might be the market being the market, um, you know, with the NASDAQ giving back so much of its gains, it's actually only up 0.4% right now. Um, it's these kind of stocks, it's Tesla and, and those kind of things that are really feeling the brunt of the, of the selling. Um, and so I wouldn't jump to any conclusions on this. I mean, I'm at this point just uh, watching these stocks almost for entertainment value as much as anything else or just to to see what's going to happen because it is it is so weird and so wacky and you're going to hear me say that over and over again this stuff is not how we're used to markets functioning you know someone makes a deal they usually are quiet about it uh you know they they're negotiating behind the scenes and everything they don't do what musk did coming out and saying that he's going to do this he buys some shares he's going to buy the company and next thing you know he makes an offer says this is it this is take it or leave it they take it and now he's like maybe i want to leave it i mean it's just it is so strange right it's take it or leave it for everybody but him exactly that's the problem it's kind of unfair to twitter employees i think it, yeah. leaving them in a great cloud of mystery but that's that's the way musk does things very much so watch the stocks if you want to get some idea of what wall street thinks will happen so next topic breaking up is hard to do you know the song but splitting up is kind of easy and it tends to yield rewards for shareholders amazon split today 20 for one that means a holder of one share on friday when the stock traded for about two thousand four hundred forty-seven dollars would get 20 shares today at around 122. after the split when I last looked, Amazon stock was up almost 4%. So, Ben, investors aren't getting any more of Amazon. They're just getting the same amount in smaller pieces. But somehow, Wall Street really likes stock splits. Why is that? And what other companies are planning to split their shares? I wish I could tell you. Um, I'm not the, the, the other companies that are splitting shares, that I could tell you. Why Wall Street likes it, I'm really not sure. And it actually seems to be cyclical whether Wall Street likes it or not. I wrote a column a number of years ago, I think it's probably around four years ago now, that the number of low price stocks in the, uh, um, in the S&P 500 had been shrinking because companies were really reluctant to do splits that a high stock price was kind of a signaling thing that's like look how great we are and so you had all these companies um with high stock prices all these tech companies with with high stock prices saying like hey look how great we are um and now all of a sudden you're having uh, uh splits become a, a big thing so you know we have amazon they just it just split its stock google is going to split its stock too um it's expected uh, sometime in mid-july shopify uh wants to split but that's uh, it's going to do a 10 to 1 split that's going to a vote with shareholders on june 28th that's one though that if it waits long enough it might get a low stock price without having to split. Um, it's been getting beaten up so much uh, recently just over concerns with um, um, with e-commerce and uh, you know its business there, though it is up 
today. It is still down 74% uh, this year, um, but still has a $360 price. Uh, $357 is where it's trading right now. Um, so it could still it would be a $35 and change stock if it goes ahead and does that split. But I, I think this is just stuff that, uh, you know, has been going on um, that gets people talking, gets people excited. One of the notes this morning about the Amazon split was, well, can it become a meme stock now? And and that's the kind of thing that goes on here. It's not about the, the fundamentals. That's not about the fundamentals at all. No, yeah. it's just about sentiment. And can you turn the sentiment around? But I think when you get into these kind of cycles that we're in where we are now in, um, you know, certainly for, for tech and the tech uh, adjacent stocks, uh, consumer discretionary and um, and communication services, it's been a really hard market and maybe get a little bit of a pop out of these uh, kind of announcements about uh, um, share splits, but it doesn't change the fundamentals. And I think that you might get, get a pop, but then it, uh, it, it weakens a bit again. One thing it does though, it allows more investors to buy shares because they're just less expensive from price basis. That, that is correct. But it's also the days of having to be able to, to, to buy a full share of stock. It, it just you don't have to do that anymore. You know, it used to be that if you couldn't buy 100 shares, like forget it. Um, and, you, you know, you could buy odd lots and now you can buy fractions of shares. Um, and so that makes it less of an issue than it was before. But it certainly is more fun to be able to buy, say, that hundred dollar lot of stock. Um, even if you don't have to. So Berkshire Hathaway trades for a gigantic $436,500. And that's current because I looked a minute ago. <laughs> Has there been much talk about Buffett splitting? I don't think he's ever talked about it. Not really. I mean, he did. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, he did once with his uh, uh, with the B shares. So if you really want to own Berkshire, you can go buy those. They cost $312. Um, but yeah, I don't think the A shares, there's ever been talk of, of splitting those that you could just, you know, if you're lucky enough to have that kind of money and you want to buy one share, hey, all the more power to you. Um, but it is in some parts of the country anyway. Yeah. I, I'm not sure you can anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe two Berkshire shares equals one house in many yeah. markets, Yeah. but pretty phenomenal. So moving on, let's talk about earnings this week. I want to remind listeners that we'll take questions at the end of the call. So please type them in and we'll set aside some time for them. First quarter earnings season is just about over, but we have a couple of stragglers reporting this week. Campbell's Soup is one, and the results should tell us something about the state of food inflation and supply chain disruptions. What is Campbell likely to report? Um, it's supposed to report a profit of 61 cents a share, and that'd be up from 57 cents. Um, and, and it's interesting reading what the analysts are thinking about it, because pretty much everyone thinks that the quarter is going to be just fine, that uh, they uh, will be able to uh, beat their numbers, and uh, and it should look pretty good. Uh, the worries come in uh, the in the months ahead, um, particularly with those commodity prices rising. Um, an analyst over at UBS pointed out that... Uh, um, that uh, Campbell's uses hedges um, and uh, for their commodity contracts. And that's, that's very helpful. It means that you can lock in your price. Um, so as prices go up, you've already paid uh, um, basically um, the, the price that you wanted, an older price that uh, is lower. And that's how you protect yourself. And that's great. But those are rolling off. Um, and so they're going to have to roll them forward, which means that 
they're going to have to pay that higher price. Um, and they're also bringing more capacity online. And so you're basically running into a situation where Campbell could have um, more um, their costs could be going up at the same time that demand comes down. The other side of the demand equation is that, uh, you know, when when things get expensive, shoppers look for the cheaper products. So they're willing to um, switch over to the generics. Um, I can still remember the old white and black generic cans. I kind of miss those. Um, but you have the private labels uh, that look a lot nicer than those at this point um, that you can switch into that are cheaper. And um, people do that as well. And so it'll be interesting to see what Campbell says about um, about that uh, cost inflation, about consumer behavior. Are they still willing to pay up for the premium product? Um, and while Campbell has had a pretty decent year, it's also it's been pulling back a little bit on some of these worries already. And that actually might set them up to be OK coming out of the print. Um, UBS doesn't think the uh, earnings are actually going to move the stock one way or another. Um, they just don't think this is the big event for them. But we'll keep an eye on it to see what it's saying about that food inflation. Mm-hmm. What have we heard from some of the other food companies? You know, it's it, it varies by company, and it's really uh, pretty amazing that there's some that have been able to pass on costs that have handled it quite well, and others that haven't. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, I think uh, Kraft Heinz was one that did quite well, um, that were able to manage it. But it, uh, I think we're, what we're seeing across so many companies is that there are individual companies that are able to that have the, their management has made decisions that have worked well and uh, others that haven't. You see it in even things like um, uh, in retail with the off price uh, uh, companies like uh, TJX doing so much better than Ross stores in Burlington. Um, so much is company specific at this point. It's a very hard business to be in these days, the packaged foods business. Oh, it's always it's, been hard, but it, really the hard. margins are so tight there. And then you get into this kind of environment where prices are rising, uh, for, you know, the input costs are rising and it's just tough. Right, for sure. So we're also going to hear from Thor Industries, a maker of RVs. And you may recall that RVs were a hot purchase during the pandemic. So hot. Yeah, people were afraid to stay at hotels. But with an RV, you can take your bedroom and your bathroom with you. What's happening at Thor now that the economy has reopened? Well, I just want to remind people how great Thor was um, from the market bottom um, in March of 2020. The stock traded from the low 30s up over $150. The ultimate pandemic play. I mean, it was great. I mean, of course, it lost uh, almost a third of its value from basically the end of February to that March low. Um, it was trading in you know the low 80s uh, before the pandemic hit. And it's right, it's just under that level now. So it's made a complete round trip and it's actually below where it was before the pandemic. Um, and, and, I th- and I think that tells you almost everything you need to know about it is that you had all this demand, it was pulled forward um, and now people are worried. They're worried that Thor's um, gonna have a lot, they're gonna get through some of these um, uh, bottlenecks that have kept production uh, uh, limited and you're going to have too much supply and the consumer demand isn't going to be there. And that's why the stock has fallen so much. It's down 26% this year. Um, the company has also, you know, its margins were able to expand again because there was too much demand chasing not enough supply. This is basic economics. Um, but now there's worries that there is too much supply. You're going to see sales come back in, you know, that promotional activity is what they call it in analysts speak. Um, and that that's going to be a headwind for the company. And so they're going to be trying to probably trying to pass on some of the inc- the uh, inflation from commodity prices to the customer. But it's going to be interesting to see if the customer is going to want to pay those prices. Mm-hmm. 
It's a big purchase in RV. Yeah. And, and it's, and you've seen this with uh, so many of these stocks that, uh, um, that, that benefited from that demand to just, you know, be outside and away from people. Um, one of my favorites was uh, Yeti, which makes very expensive coolers. Um, and that's one that is just gotten destroyed. Um, you know, and its chart looks very similar to um, what you had in Thor, where it went straight up and now it's coming right back down. Mm -hmm. That makes sense when you think about what's going on. And then you look at, <clears throat> say, some of the travel stocks and the airlines and travel is booming again. So yeah, that it is kind of an inverse trade. So another seasonal thing we'll talk about, it's wedding season, it's June. Unfortunately though, as Barron's weekend cover story pointed out, the surge in trips to the altar is unlikely to lead to more trips to the maternity ward. I didn't write that sentence, but I wish I had, it was a good one. What it means is that the US is having a wedding boom, but we're in the middle of a baby bust. And all those weddings have to be good for someone, however, and that leads me to Signet Jewelers, the seller of diamond rings and other jewelry. The company reports this week, and the question is, will earnings sparkle? And it's not clear at this point. Um, you know, when, one of the things that I've been thinking about with that is that, uh, you know, when you're buying a diamond ring, that comes very early in the wedding planning process, actually before the, you know, this is the part where you think, uh, okay, I'm going to get married. Now you go buy your ring and you do the proposal if you're doing a traditional kind of wedding. Um, and, you know, so it, it's unclear whether there is going to be a new, if the wedding boom is going to continue and um, to, uh, uh, and the people are going to keep going to buy those diamond rings. It's also unclear how much consumers are getting pinched by inflation and other things. Are they going to downsize their rings? Um, a lot of this is reflected in Signet stock already. It is down 28% this year, um, and it is supposed to grow its earnings. They're supposed to grow to 238 a share uh, from 223. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it, it's one that, that maybe is beaten up enough that it, that it could bounce. And there's some interesting things happening in the diamond market now. Um, I didn't know this, but um, it turns out Russia is a very big supplier of diamonds. Um, they, they mine a lot of it and, you know, you're not, um, their, their companies are trying to avoid selling Russian diamonds and that's hard to do, um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, if there is a, a limit on, um, some production, if you're taking some supply out of the market, um, you, you could have a floor here for the diamond prices. I just think it comes down to how is the consumer acting? Are they continuing to, um, is the, is the wedding boom continuing and are people continuing to buy the diamonds um, or are they having to cut back now because of uh, cost pressures elsewhere? Good question. So congratulations to all the brides and grooms. And for the rest of you, please read the cover story. It was fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's a lot of people were talking about, uh, you know, cost as a reason for the fact that they wanted to get married, but didn't want to have kids, um, that it was just too expensive or that their career got in the way. Um, and, uh, you know, just what that would mean for the United States, because, uh, you know, you worry, does the United States turn into Japan? Does it turn into Europe, where you do have these populations that are shrinking rather quickly? Right, right. It has major economic implications. So speaking of economic implications, things 
are changing slightly in China. Of course, they're always changing in China. But this time around, there looks to be a thaw in government restrictions on certain tech companies and perhaps a reopening of the COVID-closed economy. NEO, the Chinese EV maker, is going to report this week. What do you think we'll learn about what's going on in China and the outlook for EV stocks there? Well, one of the fascinating things is that EV sales had really dried up in China because of the COVID lockdowns there. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and it's not just EV sales. I mean, those COVID lockdowns have just wrecked the economy. You know, you saw PMIs, which are these um, sur surveys of, uh, of, of, of manufacturers and service companies dropping into the 30s when a 50 um, is the line between shrinking and growing. Um, it, it's just been devastating. Um, NEO has dropped 38% this year. Um, and I, I think what people are going to be listening to, they're supposed to have a loss of a dollar five, and that's going to be smaller than the three fourteen it had a, a year ago. Um, but I think people are going to be listening. Like, how are have you been able to reopen? Uh, is demand coming back? Are people trying to buy cars again? And they're not going to just be listening for um, what uh, Neo has um, has to say, but they're going to be listening to what it might mean for um, other Chinese EV makers and also for Tesla, which. Uh, people shouldn't forget does a huge amount of business in China. Um, we already know that Tesla is that the uh, delivery estimates are too high, that the earning estimates are probably too high because they almost certainly did not um, have uh, the kind of because of COVID, they didn't have the deliveries that were expected of them. And so it's a question now of how quickly they can bounce back um, from what uh, from, from these lockdowns. I think the thing that's so scary about China is if every time there is an outbreak, they have to go ahead and lock down the entire economy. Um, you just wonder how quickly can um, it get back um, to, you know, really as a functioning economy? Is it going to be that it just as it's starting to gain momentum again, it has to um, it has to lock down? And this, of course, has implications for the rest of the world because China is the, the world's second largest economy. And so it is uh, kind, kind of frightening. But the signs are pointing to at least right now that demand is coming back. Um, you know, Al Root, who is our expert on EVs and Tesla and whatnot, um, was saying that it looks like um, sales have increased by 50% in June. Um, and that's according to the Chinese Passenger Car Association is coming through a Citigroup analyst. And so you have to hope that these numbers are right and that uh, you're really starting to see a China economic recovery. Well, any sort of recovery there would be good for the world economy. Yes. That's for sure. So let's go to a couple of questions they've been coming in. Um, we have a question from Lee, and it relates to a number of questions we've gotten. What would make you turn bullish about the market? As Lee says, it seems to him there are not enough positives lined up in order for the market to begin a sustained rise. And bull markets take more positive elements than we've seen. But what would it take for you, Ben, to turn positive on the market? Honestly, I want to see Apple drop some more. What's um, <laughs> the answer I was expecting? It, it, I know that sounds silly, um, but uh, part of what I've been watching in this market is um, for a, a a sign that uh, you know investors really have capitulated, and mm -hmm. for a long time, Apple stock was able to hold up more than everything else, um, and it just wouldn't drop. And now it started to drop, um, but I'd like to see it drop some more. Um, I think it's when you start seeing the stuff that people love and don't want to sell start to get hurt. That's when you're really starting to see um, bottoms put in. Um, 
and so I think that's one thing. And I think we also need just to see um, what uh, how Fed policy plays out. Um, we're going to want to see um, to, you know, are they going to be able to to slow down the the rate hikes? Is inflation going to get a little bit tamed? Um, and so we're gonna, I'm going to pay close attention to that. But really, I just want to see more of a washout. Um, and I hope we get one. And one of the things I was very wrong about um, was uh, I thought we would get to, um, at the bottom in uh, in March 2020. I thought we were going to get another pullback because you almost always get another pullback when you get these kind of drops. Um, if you even think about ones that didn't quite hit bear markets the way that this dropped it, you, know, you think back to like 2015 when first you had the China devaluation of the yuan that caused a, a big drop, the market bounced back, and then you had this fear that the every company in the oil patch was going to go bankrupt at the beginning of 2016. You had this second drop, and then it was the kind of the all clear sign. And that's what I'm kind of waiting for is I would like to see that second drop. And I think it's going to probably get led by some of these tech stocks that have gotten hit, but maybe not hit quite as hard as they might. Mm -hmm. So Steve asks, um, and I don't know how you would answer this, but he says, I've heard some analysts are saying that capitulation will come when the S&P 500 hits 3,800. Some are saying 3,400. Do you have any thoughts on the level where you would consider the bottom in this market? I don't think it's about the level, but what do you think then? Well, I mean, what I, I, I use these as signposts. Um, is probably the best way to, to put it. Um, when I'm looking at charts, and I think when a lot of technical analysts do, what they're seeing right now with the S&P 500 is that um, you know it is in a downtrend. You have a 50-day moving average that is falling. You have a 200-day moving average that is falling. And you have a, a low for the market this year that is around that 3,800 level. I think just a little bit above or below, but it's right around there. And so far it's held. Um, the next stop would be down to about uh, you know 3,500, 3,400. These are the levels that technical analysts are watching, but none of them are a given. What we want to see is how do the stocks, how does the market act when they approach these kind of levels? So, if we would see a pullback to 3,800 again, what I'm watching carefully is um, are we going to hold? Is the market going to hold that level? Um, are we going to see the support hold? In which case, maybe we do start looking at that as 3800 as the bottom um, for now and or does it break through in which case i'd be looking for that 3400 i also know that right now there are a lot of people expecting a bounce and they're kind of looking at the the moving averages which are these rolling um you know you basically just plot the average of the last uh, in this case 50 days or 200 and 200 days and they're watching these two moving averages as the next levels for resistance so the the uh 50 day moving average is at uh around 40 to uh 40. Um, and if it can get through that, then maybe it goes to the 200-day moving average, which would be up closer to 4,400. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm, I'd be watching these levels to see how the market acts. Um, but for me right now, I am still in of, of the view that uh, the market is in a downtrend. Um, but these are the levels that are going to help me decide whether I'm going to change that view. Um, uh, but for now, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable thinking, okay, yeah, we might get a bounce, but I'm not ready to um, to go ahead and say this is the all clear. It might be a good tactical buying opportunity, uh, but that's different than, you know, if you're just trying to uh, predict whether the the, uh, the overall drop is over or not. I'm bringing champagne for the day you say the end is here 
and we're going up. I'm almost maybe, certainly going to get it wrong. I always do. <laughs> maybe a while. So switching from stocks to something else, Crispin asks, is it too early to invest in the metaverse tokens and Web3 related tech companies? Um, if you want to do it purely on, on the metaverse, um, I think it probably is. Um, it's it's going to be very hard to pick the the winners right now and the kind of speculative fervor um the things that get people really excited about this kind of stuff has taken a real big hit um because of the drop in tech stocks and, and whatnot and it's spilled over into the venture capital world um and so i think if you're looking just to you know tr try to get into these stocks because you're worried about a short-term move or things like that um i, I think there's time um, to, to watch and, and to and to wait and to, and to get into these things. And Barron's will be focusing on them. We had our cover story. I think it was a cover story a couple of weeks back and um, we'll continue to follow it. The, the thing that I, I am finding interesting is um, the way that analysts are trying to fit, figure out how they fit into companies that are, um, you know, like, like uh, Facebook, meta platforms, um, like Microsoft, like Apple. Um, and you're seeing, I mean, what's you're seeing Meta obviously making a huge move into this area, but Microsoft is as well, um, Apple less so. And these companies are trying to position themselves. Some of them are trying to position themselves to take advantage when this, um, when when it does start to play out. And I think that might be the way to start thinking about it is with these stocks beaten up so much, something like a, a Meta beaten up so much, it's going to be spending a lot of money. So I think you have to be careful. But it still does. Um, it is free cash flow positive. It generates a ton of cash. That's going to be putting some of that, a lot of that cash into the metaverse. But perhaps uh, it, it's going to be one of the players standing when the time comes when people really do start getting excited about this again. I think that's a very reasonable way to approach it. In fact, so we'll close with a question from Lee that just came in. It's it's um, he raises a good point. He says, you want to see Apple come down before you declare you're bullish again. But what about Tesla? The P.E. is so much higher than Apple and it can trades on it trades on continuing great news in the future. And do you think Tesla needs to come down more as well before you're convinced that the market is kind of washed out? I think the, the difference between the two um, is that, well, one, Apple is, is much bigger. Um, in terms of market cap. Um, and so it's not as Tesla's not quite as important, though, as one of the larger stocks, it clearly is important. Um, and Tesla is doing something that Apple really isn't right now, but it is growing. Um, you know, it has organic growth in a way that Apple doesn't quite have that same kind of organic growth level that Tesla has. Um, and the other thing about Tesla that I don't think people quite realize is that it's one of these things where it is still much more expensive than the market. But if you look at it now and compare, you know, people used to say, oh, this stock is so expensive. It trades at uh, 200 times earnings. Um, and I'm going to just quickly pull up a chart here if I can of this thing to see where it is now. Um, and right now it's down to, let's see, it was over 200 in February of, uh, sorry, in January of 2021. It's now down at 51 uh, times earnings, which is still very, very, very expensive. Don't get me wrong on this, but it's also a lot less expensive than it was, um, you know, just uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago. Um, and I think that's what 
you want to see in this kind of stock is that, you know, people talk about growing into your valuation and Tesla kind of is. Um, that doesn't mean that I think it's a, a good buy here. Um, I'm very worried about Musk's antics um, and just the uh, um, trying to figure out the fundamentals at this point because of all the, the mixed messages that come out uh, from him is hard. But I, I, the valuation doesn't worry me uh, so much, though. And, and, and the stock has actually come down uh, quite a bit. It was up at uh, 1250 in, uh, I believe it was November-ish. Um, and now it's down at uh, just around 700. Um, and so I think it's already taken a lot, uh, a much bigger hit than, uh, uh, than Apple in some ways. Well, the more he talks about buying Twitter, the lower it may go. Very much so. Having nothing to do with whether we're going to enter a new bull market. So I think we'll leave it there today, Ben. Thank you so much for a great conversation. And thank you to thank our you listeners there. for tuning in. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the topic is regulating big tech. Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will be speaking with Blair Levin, Policy Analyst with New Street Research on the outlook for regulation and big, big tech companies. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, everybody, for staying with us. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.